if we can't meet as a parish, we're going to have to double down on the domestic church. I don't see another way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. Before we go any further, big shout out to Elizabeth, our podcast editor, who may be producing a human child uh, right now. Wow. Yeah, she. I didn't uh, know she that. Yeah, we got an email saying, hey, dear guys, can I please have your files? Oh, I might no. have a baby on Wednesday. So we're, I was like, um, yeah, tomorrow morning we'll get it to you. <laughs> so that was that was uh, what day was that? July fifteenth, and then uh, so she might probably by the time this airs, she might already have her baby. So who knows? Who knows? So, so rude the timing. I know she could have been more considerate. <laughs> of us. We're so needy. We're so needy. Hey, so um, so I've been doing webinars like crazy now. Oh, really? I have not. No. Okay. So I they are weird and awkward. Yeah. But I really I'm I like it now. It's weird. Yeah. And I feel like it's unhealthy for me. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever gonna go out in public again. No, oh, man, like, that's it. That's it right there. <laughs> Coming at you live from the undisclosed location is right. Dave. I haven't clipped right. my toenails in six months, Van Vickle. Right. And somebody asks, like, where are you located? And I'm like, why are you asking that? Why would you even ask me that? <laughs> all right, burn it all. Burn it, right, Amber, burn right. it all. <laughs> right. We gotta go. They're getting curious. Right. Oh, that is funny. That is yeah. funny. I imagine you are gonna switch pretty soon to nothing but burner phones and you're gonna you're you're gonna text a code of a revolving cell phone number so so you know i have like a very healthy fear of any bureaucracy at yes. all like i yeah. you know i don't like banks i don't like governments <laughs> church bureaucracy i don't like any kind of bureaucracy at all okay but here's my problem i'm so addicted to apple products yes i told amber the other day if they came out with a chip that they embedded in your brain i would have a big dilemma in my life because i because i like yeah. they're so intuitive and they're so easy to use for someone like me who's not a, a tech nerd yeah. I, I i would be lost without apple i would be lost and so. i'm lost without you imac yeah i love i i love all i love technology i'm i'm the weird guy yeah because you are. i <laughs> oh thanks yeah. i love technology i love i've been a technophile from day one but i also despise how it's ruining our lives and ruining my children's brains yeah so i just did while i was painting i had to paint four coats of chalkboard paint on on this whole wall and while i'm doing it, and it's and you have to use a foam roller and it's only a six inch brush and i'm doing a whole wall so it's a lot of time so i downloaded six audiobooks one was okay. the the last harry potter book uh, okay. But then, the, which is 15 hours, but not on double speed. Um, and then the rest were by Neil Postman, who wrote the book uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Sure, yeah. And That's then a, a follow up. Book. Oh, it's it's incredible. And then That's the follow up was um, How to Watch TV News that he wrote with a news journalist. And okay. then another one called The Disappearance of Childhood and Technopoly. I just started Disappearance of Childhood, but I have those other three books plus another one that was like an updated version of amusing ourselves to death he wrote that in the 90s about television and yeah uh, right i remember yeah and then uh so that and that's been like a hallmark book and then this guy named nicholas carr wrote uh the shallows what the internet is doing to our brains yeah and yeah neil postman is like the professor philosopher 
And Nicholas Carr is like the brain scientist philosopher. And so he literally shows you how neural plasticity, our, our brain's ability to rewire itself, is being dramatically affected by the internet and the way we consume everything. And yeah, there are elements, and this is going to dovetail right into our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> right now, we are throwing all in into digital church online church, online viewing of the stuff. Some people are losing their minds over it and they're they're going way too far. They are desacramentalizing the church. Yeah, right. I hate it. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, the physical contact is part of the church. You can't get rid of that. And we never will. Even with, like we might have to social distance, but it will come roaring back. But the problem is the alienation that technology that's inherent to a screen. There's an element of connection that's awesome, but also of alienation. And we have to be aware of that and the effects that it can cause. Because if you think of all these school kids going back to school, I'm in Texas, you know, all these cases are spiking here. If they go back to school and it's half of it is through watching Zoom calls and doing go to meetings and all this stuff, we are going to lose the sacramental sense of our kids, especially when they don't even come to a building for faith formation, right? Right. You, we were already losing it. We were already losing it. That was the problem. Right. I mean, this is I, this has been interesting for me. Yeah. Um, you know, like what so like, you know, my only expertise in the whole world <laughs> is uh, deadlifting. Um, well, I'm I'm really I I'm good at that kind of stuff, but all but just like the my nudist theology, which would be like demonology, right? Like oh yeah. And one of like the the rules of that is you never assign your thoughts to the devil. Right. So we think we know what the devil's thinking because we put ourselves in that situation. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And that's like a classic problem in, in demonology. Right. And what I'm realizing now is that a, that applies also to the incarnation that we think we know what the incarnation is and its effects. And we really have no idea as a church what how important Jesus taking flesh is. And and I realize that because of that whole thing about demonology, but also because of studying Athanasius, yeah. right? I mean, Athanasius was literally obsessed with Christ's flesh, right? Yeah. And, you know, the legends that that build up around, and I don't even know if they're legends. I, I guess like a, like a modern historian would call them legends, but I, I think they're probably true stories of him running into the council and screaming, this flesh is his flesh, right? Uh, and it and making a big effect, right, on yeah. the council. Like, this is, I'm realizing how important that is and how the priesthood, by their very existence, right, their actual physical and metaphysical existence on earth does things for earth, right? The existence of someone in persona Christi, just their their person, right? Does something for us. And I think it's really important that we kind of regain. And I'm trying to figure out now how I teach my kids this, right? Because it's not easy yeah. to understand that Christ didn't just redeem us on the cross, but redeemed us through every act as as a as yeah. As taking flesh, right? Yeah, yeah. the catechism says uh, every every word indeed of Jesus's life is salvific. Right. And so like when I when I teach the sacraments, I will teach like the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River is what happens to you when you get baptized. Like you come right. up out of the waters and the father says, this is my beloved son. This is right. my beloved daughter. The Holy Spirit alights upon you. When you get when you go through Pentecost and when you get confirmed, that's your Pentecost, right? Like right. this notion of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so 
the um the 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 fleshy nature right the almost like the word incarnation is too latin have you ever heard of this the latin and the german in in, in english language like the best speakers when they want to hit a hard point use the german based words of Anglo-Saxon English, right? So English is a mixture of German, uh, Germanic tongues and Latin right. because of William the Conqueror invading France. It imported all this Latin language, but France was much more developed than England. And so all this Latinized words comes in. That's why English language right. is such a hodgepodge. You have words like incarnation, incarnation, right? Like very Latinized, but then you have the word flesh or enfleshment. And it's funny in the, to the English or to the yeah English speakers ears, Incarnation sounds sophisticated, but enfleshment sounds right. like concrete. Real. Yeah. Real. yeah. And so uh, I, I think there was a book called Flesh, and I've only read the first couple chapters, and I really liked it. It was written by a Protestant, not even a theologian, just a, um, a speaker guy, right? And so it's a, it's a little whatever. But his whole point was, like, we need to return to the flesh of Christ. And every morning when I do morning prayer with my wife during, uh, you know, the quarantine, there's that little line that introduces, I think it's Psalm 95, which it says uh, from St. Irenaeus, it was the humanity of Christ is the gate to heaven. Yeah, right. And that's the idea. Where the, there's a, a mystic in the Orthodox Church who, when dying, his disciples said, you know, like, what's one lesson you can impart? And he said, I learned to climb down 10,000 ladders in order to kiss the dust of my own humanity. Yeah. And you start to see this and you realize the importance of the human nature, the flesh that we have. So uh, dovetailing that, how the heck are we going to teach <laughs> kids this upcoming year in a parish? How are we going to do this? This this topic is relevant for parents. This topic is relevant for priests, for volunteer catechists, for DREs. I am racking my brain. So I took over all of youth ministry, which for us, we have a program called Anchor, which is 5th and 6th, Edge, which is 7th and 8th. And then life team for 9th, 10th, 11th, what does, and 12th. What does this mean? Do you, are you literally doing youth ministry right now? I'm Semi. overseeing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which means, well, not, but nothing's happening. We are banned from having any meeting that's not liturgy on campus. Okay. So we cannot have anything. We can't. We thought like everyone just got in this mode like, okay, the liturgy's back. Let's uh, let's start meeting with our groups. Let's start doing this uh, as long as we can social distance. And then the the bishop's office is like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. It's just the liturgies and the sacraments. Wow. So we're like, okay, what does that look like for the fall? What does that look like for the year? One of our buddies, uh, Father David Hust at their church, they just said, they said early on, like in May, everything is going to be done at home. We're going to do it online or at home. We're not having class in person at the church. Okay. And, and you know what that did? That took away so much uncertainty because I can't tell you how many hours have been wasted planning in May then those get scrapped planning in June. And then that gets scrapped because the chain, the situation for us right. is changing right. all the time. Right. And so just like pulling the trigger and saying that it, I bet you brought so much, like even if people don't like it, at least they know what to expect. And right now sure. it's like, what are we doing? Right. 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 Yeah. I, and I think, um, I'll, I'll tell you the reasons I like this. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, you know, this, this is going to be a real big surprise to everyone out there, I think, because I say this all the time. I am excited about the onus of catechizing children being put on the parents. Okay. So if it were me, like if I were the pope or the bishop or something like that, right? Um, and they never call me for this stuff, but they should. <laughs> you know. But it, I would say support the parents 
do everything you can now to support the parents. And then I would do what you and I talked about before. Get 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 back to the most basic catechism, which would be the Baltimore catechism. And and I'd go through that with the kids. I would. Um, the Baltimore catechism changed my life completely because, you know, I mean, you can get you can get caught up into theology. There's no question. You can get yeah. caught up into it. Um, and then and I would just support the parents and what they're doing. And I yeah. would maybe just even uh support them by giving them questions that can arise organically on what, you know, to, to try and draw this out. I really would. So, okay. So let me, let me kind of break this down. So I've been going on a lot of different websites to look yeah. at different curriculums because I'm in charge of fifth through 12th. Okay. And so I'm right now I'm just focusing on fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. We do confirmation in 10th grade and you have to do a year a prior of faith formation before you're eligible for confirmation. So ninth and 10th are kind of grouped together year one, year two. So when you think about this, there's a lot of things that people say that I, I agree with, but I don't know how to apply it. People say things like carrot and the stick when it comes to the sacraments is a bad way to approach it. You shouldn't dangle a sacrament and force parents, you know, don't hold the sacrament hostage. Don't do this. Don't do that. Just give the kid, you know, do the formation and give it to the kids. Then you have the phrase of uh, parents are the primary catechists, right? That is church teaching. Parents are the primary catechists. And I can remember uh, almost every parish and diocesan situation that I've been a part of where that is brought up. It's usually like, so send a question home for the parents to talk about with their kids or some sort okay. of touch point. But that's not that's the secondary catechist. Right. Right. right? That's not the primary catechist. So right. what should they and then you get into the shoulds. What should parents be doing? Well, a life of faith, a community of prayer, a school of charity, all that stuff that they're not doing. But okay. this is what I've detected. I've detected an entire defeatist attitude across the country when it comes to supporting parents as the primary educators, uh, catechists of their kids. They're like, they're not going to do it. So the next best thing is for us to do it better. But what I realize is if you are a supplement, you make a terrible substitute. Yeah. Right. right I can right. take some vitamins and it can make alongside a healthy meal and I can be extra healthy. But if I substitute the vitamins for the meal, I'm right. actually going to destroy my health. Right. Supplements can never be substitutes. And so I realized, so I have a whiteboard. I went into a classroom and it is, it, I, I look like a beautiful mind. Like <laughs> there's like all this right. writing everywhere. And I'm thinking this out and I'm like, parents still are the primary catechists. They're just catechizing them for materialism and secularism and right. apathy and of indifference. Course they are. Of because course. when they leave our classroom, there's no point. They leave the faith. That's what I'm saying is that, that you they know, that, still are. <laughs> you, you say defeatist attitude. I would say there's an arrogance there. We, why do we think we're doing such a good job? We're not. Yeah. You know, we are not doing such a good job. They are still leaving the faith. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing in the sense that, you know, just throw it all to the wind. I'm just saying, I, I almost think you need to focus entirely on adults and let them figure out what it means to apply that in the family, you know, yeah. and give them examples, I guess, you know, I, and now that I'm, now that you've even mentioned that I say like, you know, the organic questions that I would give them, even that to me, I'd, I'd probably wipe that out too. I'd probably just say here, here's some materials and, and go forward and try to be a saint and see what happens. I, I mean, I just, I, I think that we've programized, programatized, I don't know, uh, yeah. our faith, so deeply in America 
And I like one of the refreshing things that we did for our family was take them out of the program, you know. Mm. So for sacramental prep and things like that. We so we just, what do you we, what do you do for example? Okay, so we we do use um, either the Baltimore Catechism or we use that. Um, I'm trying to think of the textbook that uses the Baltimore Catechism. It's the one that a lot of Catholic schools use. Um, you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's from, my, it's from Ignatius Press. Oh yeah, the Faith and Life series. Yeah, Faith and Life. Yeah, series. Faith and Life and Spirit Spirit of Truth from Sophia are my two favorite. Yeah, the Spirit of Truth series, which is a, a, a school curriculum, a parish curriculum, and then they have a family of faith intergenerational curriculum. They the, like there a lot of Frannies work there. Uh, right. Sister Johanna is right. the you know she's one of the consultants or editors. I don't know what what her role is, but she's super active in it. And the stuff that we switched to Spirit uh, of Truth for our homeschooling faith formation, and it's on the USCCB's approved catechism. But when I was with my daughter last year preparing for First Holy Communion, I bought every traditional catechism that exists. Yeah, the Cancius Peter. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I always butcher his name, but it was it, it was just now. Actually, I think it was a Franny who translated from the German into English for the first time, right? Yeah, yeah. he has a company that's all he does. Yeah, and so it's awesome. Uh, it's, it's a great thing. That's what Cardinal Ratzinger grew up with, and that's what it's like. It, it's been the hallmark of educating children in Germanic-speaking countries, uh, German-speaking countries for um, 500 years or 400 years. The Pius X Catechism, which he personally wrote while Pope, uh, he's a saint. Pretty awesome. I bought that. And then I bought every Baltimore Catechism, Volume 1, Volume 2, and then the Sack Prep for Kids. This is what I want to say about it and that I think is interesting. It's like 14 sessions or 14 chapters. And it, I always had this impression of the Baltimore Catechism that it was rigid. It was like, no. here's a list of doctrines, like right. memorize, memorize, memorize. Now, it does have a lot of memorization. But it starts off just like a modern any other modern curriculum, which is... Here is the love of God. Right. Here is the love of God revealed through Christ Jesus. Here is what Christ Jesus accomplished through his teachings, through his death, his resurrection. Here's heaven. This is what sin does to us. And here is the way we get rid of sin. Here's repentance. Here's confession. And I'm right. looking at this and I'm like, this is amazing. And it's maybe four pages, a concept. Right. right. So right. I began teaching it over dinner to my daughter, Cecilia, and my younger, you know, all my kids were listening. And the, the ease of which teaching it and them understanding it, like, shocked me. And okay. I, became a, I became a true believer. Yeah. <laughs> I really oh, did. Yeah. I yeah. really did. It's not comprehensive enough, to I think, to be a school curriculum. I mean, but it's not meant to be. It's like, here is the prep for, you know, for that. Um, I, and I just mean the, the, the First Holy Communion thing. It's because you know, it's only you know like 14. That, you know, that comment that you just made about the school curriculum, I think what I think what I think what I'm leaning towards <laughs> yeah. that it's so the reason why the Baltimore catechism is so important is because there is so much fluff yeah. in most uh, uh, catechetical books mm -hmm. that it's important for my teachers to see this is what you got to focus on here. Cause you're going to yeah. have to draw out. And I think what happened is in the seventies and eighties and nineties, a lot of teachers were relying on the fluff and not the one lesson that the fluff was supposed to surround. Mm. And that created a big issue. I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. In the, in the book, um, the art of teaching Christian doctrine, I think is what it's called. Right. Where they talk about, there was this catechetical movement that in the early 1900s, that kind of 
focus everything on models of teaching. And then, oh, came, okay, yeah, right. I know yeah. what you're talking about. And then came the, uh, is that Hoffinger? I think that's Johannes yeah, Hoffinger. Hoffinger. Yep. And then yep. came the charismatic movement, which was all about proclaiming the basic gospel message. And when those two movements came together, you had the Baltimore Catechism in its final form that's published by Tan or whatever. Um, but you have this congruence that this guy's talking about. He said, you know, when people taught the faith, it was always done at home. It was only done at home until the Industrial Revolution pulled parents out of the home. And we keep thinking like our life is how life has always been. You go right. to the parish for an hour and a half, you come home, blah, blah, blah. But kids worked with their parents. Kids prayed with their parents. Like their whole day, one of my favorite paintings is the the Angelus where it's like I farmers. He has yeah. his hat off, you know, and they're just praying out in the middle of doing their work in the field because they hear the noon church bells. That was the rhythm of life. And we don't have a rhythm anymore. We have schedules, right? right. We have a We have a clock, right? But the beautiful thing that I saw or the, the, the insightful thing that I saw in that book, he said, because the Industrial Revolution pulled, uh, pulled people, the parents, out of the home, you had about a period of about 100 to 200 years where catechesis was just a dead letter because it wasn't attached to living faith. So this is what I realized. If the incarnation is real, and I think it is, uh, <laughs> if the sacraments... Uh is not just seven things that we receive, but a way of following Jesus, and I think it is. Which is then, what it means. Yes. Via. Yeah. <laughs> then when we look at, like, I keep talking about connecting points to the parish in an age where you can't show up at the parish. What does that look like? It looks like the family. I mean, right. it, it really does look like the family. It doesn't look like anything else. It looks like helping mom and dad be mom and dad. Your vocation is the education of your children. Right. You you are the primary catechist, so I'm going to train you to train them. You know, I I, I would say it, this extends, um, you know, the problems with programs extends it even into the actual sacraments themselves. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, so for my son, Sam, who's 11 now, so I, I don't know, I guess this was three or four years ago when we were preparing him for his first Holy Communion, we decided to just buck the system. Like we were going to just, uh, total, we, he was not going to receive communion at a special mass. It was going to be a Saturday. We would have a party afterwards, but it was going to be, uh, you know, not part of the whole program mm -hmm. and everything. Um, he still wore a suit, you know, and yeah. everything and, and, and he still received communion first, but we took the pressure off of like, well, here's a date. Here's everyone's going to be in the church. Everyone's going to do this. And it was unbelievable what, what it was like to watch my son receive communion. You know, he, yeah. um, I mean, he was in tears, you know, at, at nine years old because he, it, it really, really affected him. And we um, were thank, you know, we were blessed to live across the street from the church and had perpetual adoration and, Sam would go over probably once or twice a week, you know, to, to adoration on his own by himself, you know, and he'd read his like kids Bible or like that, um, you know, that, uh, not the comic book Bible, but the graphic novel Bible, yeah, yeah that's you awesome. know, and, um, you know, he'd be there and it really made a huge effect on him because, and I think if he had been part of the whole system, it would have been totally different because yeah. there would have been a lot of pressure, uh, you're mixing with other kids your age. I mean, there's just a lot of complications that come with that. Yeah. And it was a beautiful thing to watch to take that pressure off and just focus on the sacrament. Yeah. And right alongside that, the 
the simplicity and directness of something like the Baltimore Catechism is easily wielded by any parent. Right. It's right. easily wielded. And right. it puts the onus back on them. And then the the idea of the uh and and I have like struggled and researched how can we get effective evangelization for parents of kids in faith formation or kids in sack prep, whatever it might be. And the when you talked about it, like it does create its own problems when you remove the parent and substitute because you know, we don't want to substitute. No parish says like no DRE is sitting there like, well, I want to destroy the parents' primary vocation. What they're doing is they're saying parents aren't doing this, so we have right. to pick up where they fail. Right. However, one of the things that I've noticed is we create once you decide to create a program, you create a conveyor belt. Yep. So when kids are on that conveyor belt, the idea is adherence to a calendar and good enough attendance equals sacrament Yep. with yep. no faith, no understanding, and almost no involvement of the parents. So, so can I tell you my, my yeah. confirmation idea then? My genius confirmation idea that will transform yeah. the church? Because <laughs> confirmation is such an issue, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody, it's the joke. It's the sacrament of graduation. It's, yeah. you know, I, I... If I never had to do a confirmation retreat for the rest of my life, I I would be so happy. Man, you know, I'm like the, I, I'm the opposite of you. If they're see, high school I, I students, hate confirmation. I yeah, love it because they're, like, <laughs> they're all atheists. They're all atheists, and they're so yeah. I don't they're so like rude. I didn't even like high school students when I was a high schooler. So so it's not it's not my fault. Um, but I think I would like to see a bishop do this. Okay, now now you tell me. Now I'll, the 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 liturgists are going to freak out at me. That this you know someone is going to write in about this. But okay, okay. What if the bishop at the cathedral offered confirmation once a month? Always, he always offers confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation once a month. There was no Saint Bonaventure's confirmation date. There was no your parish confirmation date, and. It would take the pressure off the fact that we say, okay, a letter just went out saying that our confirmation date is this date. We have to do all these things to meet those requirements. And boy, your kid better be there because otherwise he's going to miss his freshman year confirmation or something like that. Okay. I feel like if we did once a month and all that was required was that the the local priest, right, the pastor could say, yeah, this person is ready. Yeah. It would take the pressure off of kids now there is the people who are i know already don't even write me in because i already know what you're saying <laughs> shouldn't we just confirm them because what if the grace of the sacrament changes their hearts which is not happening it's not it's not a grace is grace it's not magic that's a uh, quote from yeah, forming yeah, intentional right. disciples yeah. yeah right it's just not, it's not happening so that's not it's it's really not an option anymore i i would i would like to see a bishop do that so whatever bishop listens to this <laughs> call me up we'll plan this together i'll charge a modest fee for my consulting and <laughs> and we'll set up the sign up genius together right. for your monthly confirmations <laughs> uh, but i yeah, mean it's it, true it is it is funny because like okay like when we look at these things and here's the deal I have very strong opinions. They're very loosely held. I am perfectly happy being falsified about all this stuff, but I'm struggling with. Not me. I'll go to my grave. <laughs> I, I struggle with this idea of the the systematic pressures we put on ourselves to deliver the sacraments uh, like uh, like a machine, like like a conveyor belt. Right. And, you know, there there are churches. And when I say I did research, like, for instance, Divine Renovation, uh, St. Benedict's up in Halifax, 
they do not give Holy Communion because people have completed their second grade curriculum. They don't like, they're like, no, your, your family doesn't go to mass. You're not ready to receive your kids, not ready to receive Holy communion. Cause you as parents don't go to mass regularly. Whoa. Yeah. And that's their okay. whole thing. So they're like, we're, we're not judging you. We're just saying part of being prepared is you have a life of the liturgy. And so as parents, so canonically, that's all kosher and everything. You well, so the, there is no canonical status called first Holy communion, right? The reception of Holy communion is through the judgment of the pastor and whether or not this person is ready. So there's a lot of first graders, if they can distinguish between ordinary bread and the body of Jesus and they understand more of the sacramental theology, then you can do that. That's why you find uh, a lot of traditional Catholics will have stories of having their first grader go and receive Holy Communion because it's like, it doesn't matter. My kid knows it. My kid right. knows how to go to confession, all that stuff. So the in terms of the Code of law, now your own diocese mileage may vary, but we end up with like the bureaucratic structures of uh, you you have to hit these markers of understanding. Well, the judgment is always up to the pastor. And so if the pastor feels like you are not ready to receive, I almost said worthy, you are not ready to receive the sacrament, it's up to his discretion to postpone it, right? Wow. To, yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, and that's why we have chanceries and stuff like that. Like, you Let can me, appeal I'll, that. I'll yeah. tell you what, I'll tell you what would be the problem here. Let's yeah. say that, let's say you were elected bishop and you said this is the way it's going to work. I think you know who would reject this? The priests, I think. Yeah. That is rough. Yeah. Telling families that they can't do it. Yeah. I mean, that's a rough thing to do. I, yeah. I at one time in my entire career, I took a stand on a kid for confirmation. Yeah. And the diocese the diocese literally, you know, called and said, No, you must give him confirmation. And it and it came down to me literally saying, I want you to know I will quit over this and I will be extremely publicly vocal about what why i quit and what happened here because there is no reason that this person should be allowed to be confirmed um and so you know i just think it's hard that's a rough i mean i'd love to hear from the person who has to communicate that to parents yeah at saint benedict's yeah and when you think about this though let's get them on we should we need to get them on that's true but that's their job yeah, that know. is the job. I, I mean, that's I governance, right? So supplements make terrible substitutes. So what do we substitute? We right. substitute uh, standards and we throw them out across 400 parishes or 200 parishes or in your diocese, eight parishes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. But but we, we, we end up interjecting these standards that don't apply to everyone in the efforts of making the pastor's job easier and better, you know, like the idea of, well, what does, if you go through, it's like, what does a college diploma mean? A college diploma means you have shown up enough times to get a piece of paper that does say something, but it doesn't say a lot anymore. Right. Um, so what does it mean that you finish a class? Well, you probably know something about the sacrament, right? You've shown up is, and that's like, uh, you know, nine tenths of the battle is just showing up. Yeah. So, you know, at our church, we do assessments. We have always done, we have always had a culture of assessment. We do, in confirmation, we used to do an assessment at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, the, the First Holy Communion kids. And it's sad when, and you can, you already know going into it, like, say the Our Father, the what? Say the Hail Mary, huh? Yeah. Who's that? And you're like, no, you're not ready. How dare you? And it's like, right. you didn't meet these medium minimum requirements, you know? But they you, share well at recess, right? And then, and then that's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get it. I just think, 
I I think that unless something radically changed, and you know, I'm tough on clergy. I I am. I'm I'm yeah. admittedly too tough on clergy, but I think you're going to have a lot of committees set up, like committees to determine whether someone's ready for. So okay, so I think that's great, and I think that's totally doable. The pastor gets people that he trusts, whether it's his parochial vicars, deacons, or you know staff or volunteers who understand the point of who who have a, a a knowledge of the let's just say the Baltimore Catechism who understand these things across the board they can be trusted to be the ears of the pastor and listen to and assess whether or not these these kids are ready and say yes on my recommendation this person should that's what we do for our CIA right right we stand right. up and say these people are ready right? right to the bishop we stand in front of the bishop and say that well i mean is the receiving holy communion any less than standing in front of the bishop <laughs> right? right like the, the I love everything that you're saying. What I'll say is this: in practice, this is this is rough. This is rough, and I'll say that in a month from now, I'm going to be looking for a new job. And if any of you pastors out there listening are loving what Gomer says, do not hire me. That's what I would say <laughs> because I don't I don't want to be on that committee. I just I I yeah I think that it needs to happen. I think you're right. I just think it, we are so far from that. It yeah. is. Uh, it's, it's tough. We've built up a church, uh, based on a, a sacramental industry, unfortunately. You know, but have, now, but now we have an opportunity. Yeah, we do. We do. We have an opportunity because of the, the, the horrificness of the coronavirus to radically simplify our lives. Have you been simplifying your life? Like has the coronavirus stripped you of the traveling yeah. and all that stuff? Like it, it, it has radically simplified my life to the point where, I feel like I know what's essential and non-essential. Wait, and then yeah. B- before we before we finish this, uh, we have yeah. to, we have to, I want I want to ask your your opinion about this. Okay, so if if we're gonna support parents and yeah. not take their place, okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what does that look like? Okay, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my brain because I mean I have my ideas, but I don't th- I don't know I have I'm not deep enough into this. <laughs> so my brainstorming around this this is where the online church works, right? Digital, the digital age works. Okay. Okay. This is where we can create, whether you're doing zoom calls, whether you're doing on demand content, podcast, audio podcasts, video stuff, or um, live streaming stuff. So imagine this, every parent gets a copy of the Baltimore catechism for sacrament preparation, right? And they open it up and they look at it and it's, Oh, it's pretty simple. Then they go online and they, they listen to a 20 minute talk that I give double speed, 10 minute talk of how to, how to use the Baltimore catechism, why your role as the primary catechist of your kids is not a guilt trip, but you know, so you make five videos, 10 minutes long each, and you have a handful of audio stuff where you explain to the parent that level. So when they're driving to work or they're running an errand or they're doing the dishes or the laundry, they can hear and be informed. You have 14 okay. lessons to cover in the span of six months, three months. That's okay. doable. You could do two lessons a week. You could, yeah. you know, but, but, yeah. you're, but so I guess more, more importantly, we have to address the lack of faith in the home. So I get, I get what you're saying yeah. is like proximate preparation. How do I do this for my child? Yeah. What I'm saying is. How do we evangelize the parents on top of it? 
Yeah. And, and it's not that I'm not saying how I know how we do that. I'm just saying that's part of this, right? I mean, yeah, because yeah, you can't, right. but this is the deal. This is where you get to leverage the bad situation for the glory of God. We can say you can't bring your kids. You can't drop them off because yeah. we can't have you here. Yeah. So it's on you and yep. I'm going to make it powerful for you. So yep. then we invite the parents to come to the church. Yep. They all come and we do adoration because you can't have a gathering without it being <laughs> a liturgical event. So we do adoration <laughs> or we oh, do a mass, funny. Okay, right? We yeah. do a mass for the parents. It's not like I haven't thought about this every day. Uh, right. We do a mass for the parents and we engage in or in evangelization of the parents. This is how the cross of Jesus Christ is the center of your marriage, of your parenthood. This is yeah. what it means to have a vocation. Yeah. This is what it. This is what to believe means. Yeah, this you know, is the way forward, right? Yeah, and then we are doing this for them, and they go home. And then maybe we have uh, several events on campus with their kids. Like, you know, we do adoration, and we introduce the kids. You know, fifteen. Like at my church, we we incorporate adoration in the formation of kids for First Holy Communion. Yeah, we do a tour of the church. We do, uh, right, right, you right. know, the mock walkthroughs and all that stuff. But we also do a day retreat where adoration is a component of it, both for before Holy Communion or confession and communion. And it's part and they have to do it with at least one parent. Right. And at one point we separate the kids from the parents. The kids have a fun talk and the parents have a fun talk. Right. And the whole idea is like imparting to them this vision of what their parenthood should look like in right. Christ. Right, right. And so here's the deal, though. If we don't put the onus on the parents, you're, we have lost our incarnational aspect. Yeah. We're just going to do it online? That's not enough. The parents have to do it. Right. But the parents are doing 200 other things. I know. That's why it's only 15 minutes a week. This is like when people get like they become a minister online to say someone's wedding. It's just yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying. And I think that this is this is the path forward. I, I really do believe that. I mean, I, I really do believe that we should get rid of children's catechesis i really i i i know i'm wow so you're all in on that huh oh yeah oh yeah i don't i don't like it yeah i i think at least for the next 10 years churches should be focusing on Adults. we missed a generation we missed yeah. maybe two generations we yeah. missed them you know and we just don't have the resources anymore to be able to do that to, to be able to focus everywhere so yeah. yeah yeah i think it's powerful i i really do i think i think uh i think this is like the uh what is it the tent station of the cross where you're stripping your garments like yeah, yeah all all of the excess that we have is just being peeled away pruned yeah. away yeah. and it's like we've lived on an indulgent and decadent um system that is americana imported into catholicism we've standardized education yes let's standardize the parish and let's standardize all of this stuff but what we've done is We've removed the central role of the family. Yeah. And so if I can teach parents how to pray, how to pray as a couple, how to pray as a family, how to pray as an individual. Right. And I think and I think the the primary is how to pray as an individual. I think we yeah. focus on them. Yeah. You know, and yeah. not make it utilitarian. Like do this so that then you can teach your kids. Like do this so you can go to heaven, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the way to go. I, I I'm you uh, you have gotten me really fired up right now. Like I'm thinking I'm going to be thinking about this all day. And yeah. but and by the way, I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. See, I have to make these decisions. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, we all do. Like I'm on leadership team, so this is all a part of our conversation. 
But also the simplification of everything is a, you know, what's the line from Albert Einstein? Make everything as simple as you can and no simpler, right? Yeah. Like we can do this. But if the moment you detach instruction, you detach instruction from life, you've given them a dead letter. Yep. Right? Now, my one, I have two criticisms of the Baltimore Catechism. One, it doesn't give you salvation history. It doesn't give you the flow from Genesis through Israel to Jesus and the church. It doesn't do that. It breaks it apart. Do you know why? Do you know why? Why? Because people used to go to church back then. So they got it. Yeah. You know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you have that that notion. And then the scriptural engagement, there's scripture quotes for every lesson or Bible references for every lesson. But there can be, if that's your only way of looking at it, it can become a very proof text sort text, of thing yep, yep. rather than immersing yourself into the word. Uh-huh. So um, those are my only criticisms. Other than that, man, I am I am sold hook, line, and sinker in doing this. Yeah. Yikes. Come yeah. Holy Spirit. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, this is great. You know what? Uh, this also offers is that um, people can choose like you can, if you know, when you're supporting parents online, they don't have to necessarily listen to, I mean, you could, there could be a great talk by father Mike Schmitz. There could be a great program by Ascension press, you know, it's like, uh, you know, there's all those things. So uh, it's, it's going to, in the end, I think work out better for us. So. Yeah. And let's let's throw a disclaimer at the end of this show here. We are having a discussion about this stuff. Uh, we're not trying to condemn the work that we ourselves no. have been doing. No. For years. Right. We're all groping about in a dark room trying right. to get some something to put our hands on and make it and make it real and make it lasting. So kudos to everyone out there who is scrambling to create content and find the right publisher and the thing that works for your parish. But I, I would I would encourage you to realize that the faith cannot be given in a disembodied manner, right? The faith is always the phrase that the that the Bible uses repeatedly is handed on, right? Right. I am physically giving you something, right? It is handed on, and it can't be handed on if it's nothing but an abstraction, and it becomes an abstraction when it's not in a lived community, and if we can't meet as a parish we're going to have to double down on the domestic church. I don't see another way. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And I think I, I, for years have been saying, focus on the parents, focus on the adults. Um, And I think that this is, you're right. This is the time when we could actually do something like that. And I, I truly, truly believe that focusing on the adults is not leaving the children behind. It's in fact, the opposite is what I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of online content, um, yes. I'm doing tons and tons and tons of webinars right now. So if you're interested in uh, spiritual warfare, which I might be the only person in America that's interested <laughs> in, <laughs> at least to the level that I am interested in, um, come, come, come visit my website, the Catholic truth about angels and demons.com. There's a big schedule of things on there. So nice. I'm doing a, uh, uh my first speaking gig is going to be, well, so we got Steubenville, uh, Florida, Sumville Live. For those of you who, oh yeah, uh, you need to you need to sign up for this. This is cool. Yeah, so Sumville Live for high school youth ministry. We're doing this, um, and then Steubenville, uh What is it called? The night one for, for night the of hope or something. Yeah, like the that. night of hope. Yeah, yeah. It, it it looks awesome, and so we blasted that out to our adult faith. They have sixteen thousand people signed up already. That's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Well deserved. Yeah. Um, a lot of amazing speakers. One is the only one I care about, which is Sister Miriam. Gosh, I could. Listen I to her know. Oh man, um, yeah. she's incredible. But uh, so that that's all coming up, and then I'm doing this thing with Fullness of Truth, 
where it's on Joseph and the Angels in September. Cool. That yeah, sounds awesome. And, right. And so I'm looking at all these speakers and, that they already have, and uh, I'm looking at their stuff, and I'm like, these are like scholars and clergy who have been teaching on this stuff. So I just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk on the Davidic heritage. Why Joseph and salvation history? Like, why was it so important for Mary right. to be betrothed to Joseph? Right. And so I'm excited about that because it lets me proclaim the gospel in the in the name of St. Joseph. So I think that's awesome. Nice. That's Who's cool. all my uh, brothers and I have the middle name Joseph, and all my boys have the middle name Joseph. I did my, not know that. Yeah, my dad, I asked him, I was like, why do we all have the middle name Joseph? And he said, well, my dad said, he's from Philly. He goes, well, I had a bum for a father. I didn't know what it meant to raise kids, so uh, I asked St. Joseph uh, to just be my patron. Teach me how to, how to be a good dad. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, this is, uh, I hope, I hope that, uh, this discussion, this really helped me to like flesh out some ideas and things like that. Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm free right now. I don't, I don't have to make these decisions right now in about a month. I'm going to start looking for a new job, but, uh, then, then I, hopefully they won't be as complicated as this, but I hope it's helped you. Uh, as always, if you have any feedback, which I'm sure we'll get some feedback about this, this episode, yeah. any questions or anything like that, we are happy to weigh in on those. It's EKSB at ascensionpress.com. And as always, we'd love it if you'd give us a, uh, uh, a like on on uh, whatever po podcast app you use. You know, we'd yeah. love to get a rating on there. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Y'all stay classy. God bless.